Kia ora. Um, okay, right. Uh, so I want to start off with a word that Natalia had during the worship. She's written it down here. That uh, seems on point. So I just have to see if I can read her handwriting. Um, I would get her to give it, but she's out the back with the kids. Like VR glasses or project projections that show how a place has changed uh, or how something affects or, the effects of, or predict the effects of climate change, when we see with God's eyes what the Father is doing, it is like seeing with supernatural VR glasses. Hmm. And this is about seeing. Um, I think <laughs> we'll see. So uh, we're going through Exodus, and we're looking at, at, at that, and uh, I have the privilege of Exodus 32 to 34. And uh, honestly, when I was reading it, I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much stuff in here, so many good things that would be good to talk about. So um, I've honed in on a couple of key things, but before I start, I'll just give a, a, a like, what I hope will be the sort of five-second overview. So Exodus 32, um, Moses goes up the mountain. He's up there for a long time. The people go, ah, he's up there for a long time. We can't wait. Aaron, make us a golden calf, and let's worship that. Moses is up the mountain. God is inscribing the Ten Commandments on the, uh, the tablets of stone. And, uh, and then goes... Yo, Moses, what's going on down the hill? And so Moses goes, hold, hold up, please. Goes down the hill, sees what's going on, is not happy about what's going on. Um, you know, God was angry. Moses said, hold your anger, please. Goes down the hill and is angry. Smashes the tablets. Um, uh, puts some people to the sword. Uh, he intercedes for, for the people with God. He, there's a, in 34, there's this, in the tent of meeting, he's, he's talking to God and going, you know, uh, you, God's basically going, yeah, I'm not with you. And God's going, please, and Moses is going, no, please, you must be with us. If you're not with us, we're nothing. And then, uh, in, in, that was in 33, and in 34, there's a reconfirmation. So in 33, there's a reconfirmation of the promise and then in 34, there's a reconfirmation of the covenant, and more tablets are written. So that is um, the Cliff Notes, or the Matt Notes, Matt the Elder Notes. <laughs> um, and, and I just, there's so much good stuff in there. Well, just one thing in, in terms of the, if you, I really encourage you to get a good commentary and, and on Exodus and look at what, people, what they talk about. So in 34, 32, Moses burns the golden calf, reduces it to dust, mixes the dust with water, and gives it to the people to drink. Now, there was a test in those times for adultery where people would take the uh, precious metal and reduce it to dust and put it in water and make people drink it. And if they were sick, then they'd been adulterous. I've always wondered why when he put people to the sword, 3,000 people were killed. 
And uh, the, what the, per- the person I was reading was suggesting was that those were the people who were sick because they'd been unfaithful to the Lord. So there's just all this really cool stuff in there, but that's not where I'm going today. So, okay. I'm just going to get slightly philosophical on you for just a second, and it also gives me a chance to throw out some awesome German. <laughs> we, also, we all have a worldview, or as philosophers would sometimes call it in German, I don't know why, a, Wel- a Weltanschauung. So, so actually, I do know why, because it sounds so cool, but, you know, you all have a Weltanschauung, right? A, a worldview. It's a way of seeing. Uh, it's... It's precognitive, right? So, so it, really your worldview influences how you think. It, it, it's operating before you're consciously thinking. And it's made up, it's a sum of, of, of your experiences. It's a sum of your beliefs. It's a sum of what you've been taught. It's, the, it, it's all of these things all built together and, and more, what your values are. And... It is generally, in most people, by the time you're in your mid-twenties, is relatively stable, right? There's a lot of formation going on before that as it's getting kind of solidified, but it, it still changes over time. And sometimes things happen that cause a fundamental rethink or, or re- fundamental change in your worldview, of which becoming a Christian is one. No one who is not a follower of Jesus has a worldview that is uh, consistent with following Jesus. So one of the things that happens when we become followers of Jesus is God, is our worldview changes. Because we have, at very, what is real? God, right? We have to, that's a core part, right? Jesus is real. So these things... Uh, and, but, the, but it influences all that we do, and it influences all that we do after we also become followers of Jesus. And uh, in Romans, um, uh, Paul talks about the renewing of the mind. So there's this, this thing that God is doing in us. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about us being transformed into Christ-likeness through the Holy Spirit, and there's this work that God is doing in us to shape who we are and how we see. So your worldview is how you see the world. That's literally what it, well, that's what it means. So I just want you to hold that idea in your head. So we, get, we come back to uh, Exodus 32, right? We've got this scene where Moses has gone up the mountain and is with God up the mountain and the people of Israel go, okay, can't handle that. Let's build a God down here. So the thing, when I was reading this, and it's actually funny because this kind of crystallized for me in a conversation with John a couple of weeks ago at back at church, but when I was, when I was reading this, there's this... There's this thing here that I, 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 I just find inc- incredible. If we go back, right, in these pictures, this one's a little bit blurry, right? But at the bottom, hey, does the laser work? Oh, no, not that. Like, 
Oh, yeah. Down the bottom, it's all the people of Israel. Top of the mountain, God. So, the people of Israel are standing at the bottom of the mountain. And the presence of God is on top of the mountain, right? There's this trumpets, fire, cloud, whatever. And somehow they cannot see past their history to see God on the mountain. They're standing there in the presence of God, and yet they go, I can't, I can't understand or comprehend what's going on up there. Build me a God I can understand here. That's what's going on. And so they are, you know, God is right there in front of them, and they can't see him. And they can't see him because they have 400 years of slavery to idols in their history. And despite God defeating all of those idols in the plagues, bringing them out of Egypt, taking them through the Red Sea, feeding them in the desert, they still have not yet shed the worldview of slavery. And they, they bring that to the mountain with them, and it, and it means that it's hard for them to see. <clears throat> and so in the story in, in, that's going on here, Moses is up the mountain. He can't see what's happening at the bottom of the mountain, but God can, right? And God says, what's going on? Basically, this is not good. We are here, and the first thing I told you is to have no other gods before me, and what are they doing? Because not only, I mean, if you look at it, the, the Israelites say to Aaron, build us a God, and we can say this is the God who brought us out of, Israel, out of Egypt. So it's not, it's not just that they're making something, they're making something to replace the God that's in front of them. So, yeah, and, and, and it's, it's hard to understand unless you go, well, what's, how are they seeing the world? They're seeing the world through these chains that have been sewn into their minds and into their hearts over centuries. Stories passed down, right? And Moses, though, Moses has, has let God transform how he sees the world. So he intercedes, and, and actually I'm going to talk briefly about what he intercedes, but it's the beginning and the end, right? Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God, reminds God of what he's done, what he's promised, and who he is, so that God then goes, no, I'll hold back. And I think there's so many, so many interesting things going on here. But the first thing, right, when we think about how we see the world, Moses, raised for 40-odd years as a prince of Egypt, he's had to shed that way of seeing the world. Then, 40-odd years as a farmer in the desert. And he's had to shed that way of seeing the world. It's not like those experiences still don't make him part of who he is and still don't equip him for the job he's got. But if he wants to see what God is doing next, he's had to go, I'm not a farmer anymore. I'm not a prince of Egypt anymore. I am your servant, God. 
And so he's, he's put those things down. And so he's seeing from the perspective of the character and the promises of God. And then he calls on that. The, 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 um, and the, one of the things that is interesting in here is that God reminds, God says, these are, these are the people of Abraham. He's reminding Moses of his promises to Abraham. It's actually, I think the thing that's going, there's a thing that's going on in here that I think is really cool. So God reminds Moses of the promises, of his promises. Almost, it seems like it's as an invitation for Moses to intercede for his people. God's going, this is not good, and I will deal with them, these people who I've made these promises to. It's like there's this open door here for Moses to go, you made those promises. Please, can you, know, can you keep them? I know they are, what is, oh, what's the word he uses? A sinful, and, and, um, you know, a sinful nation, right? A, 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 an unholy people who are supposed to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. He recognizes that, but he says, but you made these promises. So he intercedes for the people. So, then there's this bit in, 30, in 33, and uh, this, is, this is just so critical <laughs> that you know, God says to Moses after he's interceded for him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses' response to that is essentially, yes, this must happen. Otherwise, we are just a group of randos wandering around in the desert. We're just another group of people. The thing that makes us different, the thing that characterizes us as different, is your presence. It's not what we do, although we have to do things. We have to, you know, if we're going to be this holy nation, there are things for us to do. But those things don't make us a holy nation. What makes us a holy nation is you, God. If, if you don't go with us, there's not much point in going. And so, part of, I guess, part of the way I, I see the world and certainly part of my, part of my work is to look for patterns and go, how, what are those patterns and are they repeatable patterns? You know, how could you use those things? And there's a pattern here, right? There's a pattern in humanity that we have our worldviews and our worldviews are fallen. And that makes it hard for us to see God. But there's also a pattern in that we can intercede for each other. We can help, we can intercede for ourselves and we can intercede for each other. We can remind God and we can remind ourselves of the promises that He's given us. And that the people of God are wholly and totally and only characterized by the presence of God. And so that is that that is our aim. And that just lest you think that I'm, this is a one-off example in Exodus. Oh, yeah, they got, people got it right everywhere else. One of my favorite stories in the Bible 
is uh, Peter uh, being rebuked by Jesus. Uh, it's, it, partly it's because Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible because he, I, I can just see myself in him in a way that he's, he's so human, right? He's so, on one hand, so after God, and on the other hand, so misguided in a whole lot of that. So there's this thing that's happened, right? So the disciples have been with Jesus for a while, and he's slowly unveiling and revealing the kingdom to them and his ministry to them. And so he's fed the 5,000. He's walked on water. Uh, he's calmed storms at this point in, in, in the story. He's raised the dead, right? He raises the girl from the dead. Um, and he's healed the sick, given sight to the blind, all of these things and more, as prophesied in Scripture, the Scripture that Peter knows. And Peter, and so Jesus has said to the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter has said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, on this rock I will build my church. And I kind of, I have two thoughts about that that just sprung into mind. One is that, yes, there's a sense upon which Peter is this leader of the new church, but I think the rock is, the direct, is, is as much the declaration of Jesus as Messiah as it is the person he was talking to. Because Peter is seeing. He's seeing the God standing in front of him. And then Jesus unfolds further teaching about how for the, the Son of Man, for the King of Kings to be enthroned, he has to suffer. And he's going to suffer at the hands of the priests and the Romans. And he's going, to be, he's going to be a sacrifice for the people. And Peter goes, no way. That's not right. You can't do that. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. I, I, I googled that picture. Like a, like a, and, and there's lots of pictures of Jesus and this kind of shadowy Satan figure. But I really like this one. Because look at Peter's expression. He's just, what? <laughs> what? And what does Jesus say? Because you are not setting your mind on God's business, but on man's. Because what people thought the Messiah was in Jesus' time was this political king who was going to come and defeat the Romans. And when, and when the disciples were seeing the exercise of power, the raising of the dead... Would you go to war if you thought, oh, if I go to war, he can just raise me from the dead? <laughs> Might hurt a little bit, but hey, poof, done, sorted, healed. Oh, I got hit with the sword, Bzzm, healed. Oh, great, I'll be a good soldier for the Lord. <laughs> right? And, you know, you've got an army. It's hard to feed an army. Jesus can feed an army. <laughs> we could even attack in weird ways. We could walk the army across the water. Right? I mean, you can kind of see how they could be interpreting or in seeing all of these miracles in the light of the way they think the Messiah will work. But what Jesus is talking about is also what is prophesied. Right? Isaiah, the suffering servant. So it's also in Scripture. They had access to that, but they couldn't see it because their worldview had become such that having Peter, having seen God just in front of him, 
lost sight of him and was rebuked for that. It's really challenging. It's really challenging. And I think, um, you know, this is about seeing. How are we seeing? Who's Whose eyes are we looking with? About 10 years ago, I think, Christy Wimber came here and um, spoke at a conference, and she spoke at a bunch of leadership events that we had here. And she said a whole bunch of good things that if I, if I go through all the journals I've got, I'm, I'm sure I can find them. The one thing that's actually stuck in my head that I've always remembered is this. This is my paraphrase. I think she said it slightly a, a bit more eloquently than this. But essentially... The next, king, the next step in the kingdom will cost you what it took to get, to get you to where you are. That, what she's getting at is that as God calls you forward, you have to lay down what you've got. You could be, uh, in her case, a very successful pastor of a very successful church. Not too long after this, she left that because she saw a different ministry that God was leading her into. It cost her the income, the status, the, the community that she had to move into the next thing that God was leading her into. The thing is, is that sometimes we struggle to see God in front of us, not because of bad things, but because of good things. Or just things that are indifferent and neither good nor bad. Uh, I, uh, a few weeks ago, I um, can't remember exactly how long, probably about four weeks ago, James was talking about something. Sorry, I can't remember what it was, but there was something about laying things down. And I felt not convicted or anything, just this really strong sense that uh, I should stop playing computer games. I spend, it's, it's the thing I would do to relax, right? And when I was really stressed at work, I'd go home, and I'd do that because I could just not think about anything else. I could just get absorbed in this thing. You know, it's, it's absorbing enough that I don't think about other things, but at the same time, it's not so much that it's stressful, right? I can just kind of do it. And it had become this crutch for me for, for, for sort of dealing with the, the stress that I was in. But, it, oh man, does it eat time. You know, the time that I might have spent doing other things, like with the family or with God, and it would just eat that time. And games are games, right? They're just the thing. I don't think that... There are some games that I would go, well, no, don't do that. But, but actually, the, the, themselves, they're just the thing. They're not... I don't think they're good or evil. But for me, they had become an idol. I was going to that rather than going to God. And so um, <laughs> I'd like to say that now I've gone, oh, yeah, I've filled all that time up with Bible study and, and, and worship and things like that. No, I'm, uh, I've got to go, okay, don't fill it up with watching TV, Matt. Um, or, or, so I'm on a journey, right? But, but I felt that that was a thing for me to go, actually, I've got to, I'm, I need to take this out so that there's time for me to work with God to reorganize things so that I can do other things, things that, might, that he might want me to do. So in a minute, I actually want us to all pray together in groups, but what I want to I ask some questions. 
when we go back to that idea of worldviews, right? Worldviews are our history. Uh, they're our values, they're our beliefs, they're, they're our experiences, our training, what we were taught in school. And God has a view on all of that. Um, what we read on the internet. Um, and the questions I, I feel like... so. Actually, just before I go here, there's another thing. Right? For me, um, the elephant in the room is that we, you know, we've, talked, we've talked today, everything is changing, right? And we have been through a time of profound societal change in the last few years. And as a church, we've been through a whole lot of change. And... Uh, you know, we've had words about sifting and shaking and things like that. These, this God is on the move. He is doing something and he is using what is happening in the world as a part of that. And that, um, that means that we could be here today holding hurts that have happened over the past couple of years, right, that... Um, I know, I don't know if it's happened here, but I know of families where people don't talk to each other anymore. I know of people who have cut off friends and things like that that have happened as a part of all being cut off by friends, all as a part of what's gone on and the turmoil. I'm not, I'm not, no judgment about what's gone on, but this stuff is happening to people. People lost their jobs at different times, right? There's, there's these things that have happened to us and to the people that we know and to our society. And one of the things I think we are being called to is to bring those things to God. Um, that uh, we may be disappointed, we may be hurt, we may be angry, and, I mean, I think one of the things that I just love about the Psalms is that they show you that it's all good to be disappointed and be angry and be sad and be hurt and that God is well big enough to cope with whatever's, whatever's gone on for you. He is, as James said, unchanging. All this turmoil, he has a plan, he's unfolding that plan, and he wants us, he's calling us to be a part of that plan, to be the people of his presence in this time of turmoil. I mean, what an invitation. But what do we need to do to see, right? I've often prayed, you know, Lord, give me eyes to see, and ears to hear what you're doing. And Jesus, you know, what what does Jesus say? I'll just do what the Father is doing. It's one of the characteristics of the vineyard. John Wimber would go, well, what is, what is the Father doing? What is Jesus doing? Let's just do that. And I think, I think there are new things coming. I want to see what they are, and I want to be there when it happens. There's an incredible promise there. But there's a question about what might we have to deal with and bring before God. We may not have to lay it down. But what might we have to bring to God and let him work on so that we can see?
What experiences are we holding on to that we need to welcome God into? It doesn't, it's not always bad things, right? There may be great things, like, oh, man, the way we used to do church and we used to do this thing, it was awesome. Why can't we just keep doing that? But maybe that's no longer what's happening. So, and, and, or, you know, so it's, it's, it's just these things that, that they may be coming up, right? What beliefs are we holding on to that, uh, you know, as, as Jesus rebuked Peter, that are in man's interests, not God's? That's a real challenge. What have we been taught that is shaping us not to see what God is doing? We live in a culture that's aggressively materialistic and secular and that doesn't really believe in the supernatural. Um, and so that's, we are just indoctrinated with that all the time. That can blind us to seeing what God is doing because we're like, oh, well, it's not a miracle. That's just something good happening over there. Actually, no, it's God moving. What habits have we formed, like my habit with games, that are holding us back from seeing. The promise of God is that there is more than enough of him in what he is doing. Man, and, and he is, it, it's, I don't know what's coming. I'm not uh, particularly, um, I don't know what the word for it is, sensitive to that kind of thing, right? But even someone who's as tone deaf to me as me sometimes to what God is doing can hear that something is happening. That he's doing something. And so what I want to encourage us to do, and what I like to do now, is for us to break up into groups, probably of no more than five people, and pray for each other. We don't don't, don't have to actually pray about what I've talked about at all. I just think we need to, God's presence is here with us, and let's just invite him to come and speak to us. To, and if, if, if there are things that I've talked about that you think, I need to take that before God, well then, pray with people about it. If you don't want to tell them what it is that you want to take before God, that's fine. Just say, I'd really like prayer. I need to lay some stuff down before the Lord. And then people can pray for you and stand with you in that. In Hebrews, it says, we, we, you know, because Jesus is our high priest, we can, have, we can approach the throne of mercy with confidence for the grace we need. He is... Here, he is with us, he is for us, he is for you, and he wants to, he, he, he's, he's ready to, to share, to work with you. So, you know, you can pray about the, um, things that might have, been, might have come up today. Uh, I think we should always, if people have them, we should be praying for healing. So, we can pray for eyes to see, we can pray for um, uh, hurts or disappointments or things like that, or anything else. God is good, and he is here, and he is, um, yeah, yeah. So I think um, maybe if we can just put a little bit of quiet music on, Josh, and if you break up into groups, um, I actually think it would be good to maybe, this is just a gut feel, to break up um, like normal groupings, like family groupings or things like that. You don't have to, but, um, but get together into groups of probably, I think, no more than five because you want everyone to have a chance to sort of um, share or pray or whatever. And we'll just go with that. And actually, later on, a little, in a little bit, I'm going to ask if there's anything that people want to share, if anything's come up that, in the words of encouragement or testimony. So, go, people.
Talk with each other. Talk with God. Like